every party we did, there was someone there who was what we call Canna Confident. And she would share her story. Mm. So we would do our education piece. We would share our stories. But then someone in the room would end up inevitably sharing as well. And that's what changed minds. It was, oh, I'm in this room. I'm in this community of women. And there are already women in here who Mm -hmm. are using cannabis. And they're okay to talk about it in an open way in this forum. And so I think that was really significant to changing minds. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And today I am coming to you a little exhausted. It's been a whirlwind out there. Oh my gosh. If you were at MJ BizCon or MJ Unpacked, I don't know if my body has fully recovered from that experience and event yet, but I basically left Vegas, was in Austin for a few days, then flew to Oklahoma to speak with the OK Women Can, which is a nonprofit that is all about supporting the women in the Oklahoma cannabis industry. And they invited me to be a speaker at their inaugural Midwest conference. So that was really exciting. I really enjoy getting to obviously speak and share my opinion, but mostly really love networking. And so it was a really fun event and opportunity to get to just connect to the women in the Oklahoma and kind of beyond cannabis scene. They had a lot of great national speakers that actually came in and joined. And so that was really equally fun for me because got to meet some women that I really respect and admire and got to share the stage with them. So that was a slam dunk for me. Now, when this episode airs in a few short days, I will actually be heading to Houston to speak at the Lucky Leaf Expo. They're having their Houston event coming up this Friday and Saturday. And I love the Lucky Leaf team. They've been a really great event that has been taking place here in Texas over the past couple of years and super grateful to be a part of their speaking circuit. So if you'll be in Houston, definitely would love to connect and say hi to you there as well. But kind of going back to MJ Biz and MJ Unpacked, that was my first time ever going to MJ BizCon and it was so freaking crazy. I mean, the energy in the room, the amount of vendors there were, the amount of parties and events and happy hours and speakers and just like all the different moving pieces. You know, as somebody who comes from Austin and where we have South by Southwest, I think I was a little prepared for it. Just understanding, you know, both that as well as prior to getting into cannabis, I did work in corporate events. And so I spent quite a few years going to trade shows in Vegas, but the convergence of cannabis and conference and everything in between layer on top of, you know, you having COVID kind of going on where there hasn't been a lot of in-person events and things are finally starting to open up again. So it was a really good opportunity to just get to go be in person with so many listeners. I got to meet some of you guys. That was really fun for me. I appreciated everybody who, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, And I also got to meet a lot of my speakers and guests on the podcast, which was really, really exciting. Got to meet Jocelyn Sheltra from Headset, got to meet Dave Palaszczuk from Branding Bud and made a lot of really great connections. I am just super grateful that I've 
been able to have on the podcast and then kind of transcend that into real life. So still definitely digesting the conference. I think there was a lot of forward thinking just in terms of, you know, emerging cannabinoids, how the markets are going to get kind of unpacked and stacked as we have the move towards federal legalization and kind of what some of the leading brands are doing to kind of prepare themselves for federal legalization. I think one major takeaway was hearing from Wanna Brands that they still kind of see themselves in an emerging market versus someone like myself who looks at a brand like Wana and feels like, wow, Wana's kind of established, they've made it, but they very much take the posture of there is more to be done and we are in the middle of it and we are evolving and we are iterating and we are helping contribute to the future of cannabis. So I just recently saw on social media, they're also coming up with some new, interesting, innovative products. So definitely on the same page in terms of the ball is moving and we are evolving with it. So really great to, again, just kind of get to hear from some of these great industry leaders in an in-person setting was really, really impactful and inspiring, but also can't pass mentioning all the dope after parties. I mean, I literally, I didn't know what to expect, but got to make it to a couple of the top ones. So definitely want to give a shout out to Grasslands for including me on their invite list. That party was the first night and just blew my mind and got to again, see a lot of people that I really respect in the industry IRL. So all that to say, I'm a little exhausted, but as you can tell, my schedule isn't slowing down anytime yet. So happy to be here sharing some updates with y'all, as well as providing you with a brand new episode of the podcast, which I am presenting today from actually the show floor at MJ Unpacked. So MJ Unpacked, this was its first year of that type of show. It is a CPG, consumer packaged goods focused event and why I thought that it was really important for me to be a part of it was because that's the whole premise of this podcast is talking about the branding, the consumer packaging of these products, and ultimately who are we selling to? Consumers. So thinking of it kind of in that total approach is really something that I love. I want to learn more about. And so getting to be a part of MJ Unpacked and just like be a part of their specifically from a content perspective was really really neat because it speaks the same language. And that's where I definitely got to express a lot of, you know, the things that I've observed in the industry, seeing manifested in real life through the display of all these amazing brands that are making up our space. So MJ Unpacked gave me a press pass. Shout out to MJ Unpacked. Thank you so much to George Jage and his team, as well as Zoe Wilder. She definitely is the woman to know when it comes to cannabis and PR and you know, kindly and graciously has allowed me to connect with a lot of her clients, but also made it possible for me to be at MJ Unpacked. So that was a really great opportunity that allowed me to record the podcast I'm about to share with you today. So I got to interview Carly Warner. She is the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Garden Society. Now Garden Society is a delicious craft cannabis brand that focuses on edibles as well as sun-grown pre-rolls and they connect responsible farming, sustainable ingredients, and strain-specific cannabis. They are two badass women. Shout out to the women in cannabis. I just heard a stat, you know, the conferences that was kind of repeated. Cannabis used to have a large percentage of women-owned businesses. I think it was originally like 30% a couple years ago. Presently, it's down to 8%, 8% of women-owned cannabis brands. So as a female founder myself, definitely feel that number a little bit more close to home as we continue to evolve the conversation of women being in cannabis. So glad to have Carly on the podcast. Carly represents a Sonoma cannabis brand. And we talked just about that, what it's been like building a cannabis brand in Sonoma County, where alcohol and wine in particular are really the focus of the consumer and how through their brand, through some unique marketing 
messaging through the quality of their products, as well as some fun activations in the form of garden parties. I'm using air quotes. We really dive into some of these unique ways that Garden Society has really grown and built their brand, a lot of the passion behind how they created the brand, as well as what they are looking forward to doing in the market. And yeah, we sat down. I apologize in advance it's, if it's a little bit noisy. We were on the show floor, so hopefully that adds to the excitement, the encouragement of you maybe wanting to participate at MJ Unpacked next year. But without further ado, I'm going to welcome Carly to the To Be Blunt podcast. So I'm Carly Warner. I'm co-founder and CMO of Garden Society. We're a craft cannabis company based in wine country, California. So we're fully licensed in Sonoma County. We make beautiful edibles and pre-rolls, which we call rosettes. They're little minis. And then we do hash-infused rosettes. We feel very passionately about educating women specifically, but our customers span across all genders. It's really about the quality and the craft and making sure that they get consistent effects. So super exciting. I'll share a little more about like our founder and and how she develops the chemistry of the input of the cannabis because it is it's you know we do use full spectrum but just my sort of background and how I got into cannabis. So I always like to start with the fact that so I went through dare in 5th grade and I was like oh my goodness I was I was like very straight and narrow and and like oh, okay drugs are bad I got it. So I I'm smelling this smell in my house frequently. And so I go picking around in my parents' closet and I find a little bag of green herbal looking stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, my parents do drugs. I was mortified. So I approached my mom and I was like, I found this in dad's closet. I think it's maybe pot or maybe it's marijuana. I didn't even realize that those were the same thing. Like, yeah, what's the difference, right? (laughs) She was like, she, she tells me to this day, she had to like hold her breath not to laugh. But she just told me that my dad used it to kind of help mellow his stress and, you know, calm anxiety. And that was just like medicine for dad. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, so then a year later, I found out that my uncle, who was dying of AIDS, also used cannabis to help him eat. And it was sort of planted this idea of like, I still felt like it was a drug and it was scary to me, but I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like it is used as medicine. So fast forward into call, like I I never really dabbled with it. I really went sort of more the other, like straight and narrow, continued sort of what I call down the straight and narrow. I think partly because my parents did it. So I was like, oh, it's not cool because my parents do it. You either like follow in their footsteps or you go the opposite direction, Yeah, exactly. So I was going the other way. But um, in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and put on pharmaceutical drugs, which really did improve my quality of life significantly. But as I was getting older, I was noticing some of the side effects of the medicine were sort of having more of a negative impact on my life. And so I started just trying, you know, weaned off of what I was on and just sort of tried different lifestyle changes to manage the depression and anxiety. And my boyfriend at the time, now husband, grew cannabis and was really into it. And so he kind of helped me start trying out different strains and we vaped it a lot where like more just like small micro dosing, but it really helped my anxiety. But I was doing this always with my, my husband and his buddies. This was like, I I didn't have any girlfriends that 
that were into cannabis like mm. I was. And so I was working at the time for Constellation Brands in the wine industry. My background's in public relations, so love what you do. <laughs> and just kind of started learning more and more about how cannabis can be incorporated into your life in different ways and help in different ways. And it's interesting, I was still afraid to walk into a dispensary. I was very intimidated by the the whole process of it. And so my husband would go in and buy me some products. And so I got to play with different candies and topicals and little things, you know, from the legacy days. But I was, you know, working in wine and I hadn't really thought about it. So my business partner and I met through Constellation Brands, Erin Gore. I helped launch her husband's wine brand through Constellation. So we were ended up meeting at a media, doing media tour around the country. And we were at the Nomad Hotel in the library in New York. And we started talking about smoking weed. And it was like, she was this like high powered, like very successful career with a German CPG company, traveled all over the world. Like she just knocked my socks off. But, and I just was blown away at this woman who also was so into cannabis and her story is very medical as well. And so I remember at Aspen Food and Wine, we were sitting at a table together with this giant plate of French fries. We'd gone to a dispensary, smoked a joint, and she was telling me about how she wanted to someday have an edibles company, and I, that stuck with me. So we sort of parted ways. I Not just naturally, like life got busy, and I stopped working on that brand. And in my personal life, I had gone through some pretty significant traps tragedy. In 2014, my daughter was stillborn full term. And then four months later, my husband was diagnosed with lymphoma. And it was really, really challenging. But we it ended up like cannabis just kept appearing. And, you know, he had to use cannabis to eat while he was on chemo because it made him really sick. And so there was about six months of that. And then I proceeded to have four more miscarriages. And just it was it was this time in our life that really brought my husband and I together, but it was really challenging. But there was this common thread of cannabis. So in 2016, I finally had a beautiful daughter, Catalina, and a, you know, around four, she's four months old. I was supposed to go back to work, and I was like, no way. <laughs> like, this is not happening. And about two months later, Aaron reached out to me on Facebook Messenger. Kismet. Because we didn't have each other's phone numbers anymore. She had quit her job in April, and she set out to build... A cannabis brand an edibles brand so she asked if I would meet and we sat down and I couldn't say no but I was like you know here's I'll, I'm only gonna work this amount of time and it's got to be like this and I really set firm boundaries to make sure that I could be the mom I wanted to be but also I mean I had never dreamt of being an entrepreneur I was like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a worker bee I'm really good at what I do but I liked sort of having that structure around me of like a corporate you know situation and so when she started talking about this, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And I don't know if this is for me. And, and it just kept going and going. And her energy really gave me the confidence to be like, no, I can do this. Like, I can figure out how this works. I, and at the time, it was under Prop 215 in California. So it was, you know, medical market. And we launched the company really around educating women and breaking down the stigma because for us at that time, there wasn't really a brand that resonated with us. It was all very sort of masculine and targeting not to us. And so we wanted to build a brand that really was comfortable for both men and women that was high quality and consistent but was approachable. 
so we actually started by doing these in-home women's parties. So we would go into women's homes. They'd invite, you know, 12 to 30 of their good friends. And we would talk about cannabis. We would educate. We had a little, you know, one-on-one presentation that we did through Prop 215. We were able to actually hand sell there. So talk about the product, educate. They could feel it, touch it, smell it. Um, And at the time, we had chocolates and gummies, uh, more of like a pâte de fouille, like a French confection. And that really propelled the energy behind. We had built all these sort of what we call now brand evangelists in Sonoma County and and it was small but we were growing and 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 it was really sort of like guerrilla style you know it was just the two of us we were bootstrapped the company and we just sort of built and chiseled away day by day and we started to get placements on store shelves and continuing these women's parties and yeah that and now we're sitting here today five years later (laughs) no look what an inspiring story I mean obviously to not you know take away the heartache that it sounds like you and your family and just I think obviously everybody who kind of finds themselves I always hear some sort of reflection on something was not you know working in our lives and we were turning towards cannabis and so I think from that perspective obviously this plant is so therapeutic for so many people for so many different reasons but connecting the dots from how do I you know get cannabis or know that I might need cannabis to then the end consumer of feeling that they can trust the brand or enjoying the products or understanding the quality. Obviously, we're seeing it more than ever that the brands are showing up and rising up in the cannabis industry, but being able to, I think niche is something that gets talked about, but doesn't necessarily get adopted maybe as much. And, you know, just from my own experience running a CBD dispensary, Of course you want to be everything to everyone. You want to sell to every person who is interested. But the reality is, long term, I think when you are trying to build a brand, brands can't be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. You want to find your people. And it's kind of the, you know, it's okay that not everybody likes you because you only want the people who are going to support you and champion you and want to continue to be a part of what you're building and creating. So kind of in that vein, when you were creating the brand, did... Aaron already bring the brand name together? Was that something that y'all created together? Obviously being in Sonoma and and having this wine background, I can imagine, you know, the vineyards have some sort of influence with garden. And so I understand branding enough to know that like there is some on the nose stuff, right? It's like, no, duh. Like this is like the brand that if you can manifest who the customer is in Sonoma County, who is buying your products, (laughs) what they look like, where they shop, what they consume. You can probably make those correlations, but outside of that brand existing, kind of walk us through what was that brand iteration of, this is the brand name. Was it always that? Did you evolve it? Did the brand always look and feel? I mean, you just show me some of your packaging and just seeing it here on the show floor. For everybody listening, we are at MJ Unpacked. This is live <laughs> in the in the rooms uh, recording. You can hear probably some of the you know chatter of the show floor. It's wrapping up today, but it's been a really exciting conference and specifically MJ Impact, why I thought it was so valuable was being able to highlight those different brands Mm -hmm. where at the end of the day, we're all relatively selling the same thing, but you can see such distinct personalities. So knowing, you know, your niche, Mm -hmm. how did you iterate and build the brand? So Erin had already started, she hired an agency in in San Francisco to help with the name, Um, but it really comes from, so Erin lives on a micro farm in Healdsburg, she and her husband, he's a grape grower, but they grow like tomatoes that restaurants in town buy, and they grow cannabis, and they grow, they're surrounded by vineyards, and 
you know, grow all kinds of, they have chickens and they have this beautiful rose garden. And Erin has this story of how, you know, she'd be on phone calls in China and it would be stressful and she'd have her, you know, headset on and be out in the garden clipping flowers and roses and just sort of like doing, she's really great with floral arrangements. So the name really came from that. And then society is, we're really, we have been dedicated from the beginning to build an empowered community who is canna confident and, and proud and understands the plant and why it works for them and loves to share, you know, that experience and that story. So that's where Garden Society comes from. That was mostly formed before I got there. And then we worked with a branding agency to create like the flower patterns that you see on all of our packaging. And we did a reiteration a couple years in and added this other beautiful floral pattern to the brand. And I needed something that sort of drew it all together that was cohesive, that could be anywhere and not just associated, you know, correlated to a specific product. So we had the bones and sort of the structure of it. And then as the years have gone on, we've, you know, done different iterations of the look and then also the messaging has been really interesting it's really always been you know women owned crafting quality and building this empowered community of women but we have always had really supportive and incredible men in our lives and male consumers so fun fact actually around 67 percent of our consumers from retail data are men and yes, some of those are probably buying Garden Society for, you know, other people in their sure. lives. But there's also this fact that they love the size of the pre-rolls. They love the quality and taste of the chocolate. So in the retail store, the retail experience, we really try to be neutral in our messaging and inclusive. But certainly on, you know, at the forefront of what we're doing. It's educating women and bringing women into the fold around cannabis. And also everything we do is, you know, trying to build again this empowered community. So an example of something that we just started doing is we partnered with an incredible organization out in New York called Sad Girls Club. So they're a nonprofit dedicated to breaking down the stigma around mental health, specifically for black and brown women who where the stigmatization is even stronger than for, you know, other other women. And so we're doing some sponsored content and in real life what they call soul sessions with them. So that's part of this community we're building. Erin also mentors a lot of women in the industry who are just starting out. So we try to really live that value through everything we do in Garden Society. And we actually even in fundraising. So in 2018, we started to do just a small round, like a seed round of funding. And we had several male investors say, you know, you don't have any, why don't you have any women on your cap table yet? Like, why are women not investing in you? You must not be that authentic or good or fill in the blank. And so we took that and we said, all right, we're, you know, we're going to turn this on its head. And we ended up building what we called Project Sparkle, which is our a women's slate of angel investors. So we have women from across the industry. We have women from CPG, we have women from Consumer Insights who have invested in Garden Society because they believed in what we're doing. And now we have this incredible army of women who we're able to tap into for different expertise, for building word of mouth, all of these different ways that we can utilize these women that are putting this power behind us. Mm. And in having that, we were able to then raise you know, the funding that we needed and have this powerful story. And we're doing a lot of work around you know, spreading that and making sure that we're 
we're making introductions because all of these women on our slate want to continue to build women brands. And so now we're making introductions and making sure they're looped into other, what other women are doing in, in the industry. And That's so enriching that. and so, encouraging. Yeah. And especially her story of just being able to have this, it's like, it's not to reduce it, but like to really get back to, you know, like that moment of she's in her garden She's finding this piece of just like trimming her roses and just that inspiration and realization of, wow, this is something that I can build a brand experience, a conversation off of, something to create some sort of, you know, olive branch or rose branch Mm -hmm. out to that consumer who might be perusing a dispensary and trying to, you know, pick out the brand that speaks to them the most. I love that. So kind of off of that, you're a California Sonoma County brand. What is that market like in particular, knowing that alcohol and wine is such an influence in the market? Obviously, you're not selling in the same mediums. You can't sell cannabis at a winery or a distillery or even at, you know, the local store or shop that's selling wine. Like you have a different output to the consumer, but I'm just curious from building a brand in such a defined market that is wine, did you notice that it helped or uh, was there any challenges around the adoption from a consumer perspective from specifically maybe these women who are used to their tradition of wine, brunches? Are they now being converted into cannabis or rosette brunches? And kind of what has y'all's influence been navigating that, I guess, geographical area that you've been building your brand in? Yeah, it's, um, you know, there were definitely minds that needed to be either educated or changed or shifted or um, evolved, expanded. (laughs) What was interesting is at the Inom Women's Parties, you certainly had some attendees who like came to just sort of hear the, hear the shtick, hear the pitch but we're very much like, I, I am not going to consume cannabis. And what was interesting to watch is every party we did, there was someone there who was what we call canna confident. And she would share her story. Mm. So we would do our education piece. We would share our stories. But then someone in the room would end up inevitably sharing as well. And that's what changed minds. It was, oh, I'm in this room, I'm in this community of women, and there are already women in here who Mm -hmm. are using cannabis, and they're okay to talk about it in an open way in this forum. And so I think that was really significant to changing minds. I think there's so much confusion, which I'm sure you experienced, between hemp drive CBD and and THC and CBD from the cannabis plant. And so it was educating and demystifying. And in some cases, it was that they should go and find like a high quality, beautiful CBD product um, on the hemp derived market. And then in some cases, it was like, oh, no, you probably should try, you know, if you're open to having a little bit more of like a... um, uh, an experience, like an elevated experience, euphoric then we can or, bring, yeah. yeah, euphoric. Then we can bring in a little bit of that THC, and it quickly, we quickly evolved from being this sort of canna curious consumer to serving this canna curious consumer to serving this canna confidence consumer, and you can see that in the evolution of our products. Mm-hmm. So we start out with a 10 milligram chocolate and a five milligram fruit pate. And then we moved, when when legalization happened, the fruit pate was not a viable product for the shelf at the time in the way that 
the manufacturing was working and testing. It was just a, it was a challenging, challenging product to work with. So we ended up expanding our chocolate line and starting our rosettes, which are our pre-rolls. And that was really just Aaron and I like, we want joints to smoke. <laughs> Let's make pre-rolls. Like real good market research there. But um, like, also, I need this product. But also pre-rolls you know, were one of the fastest growing categories at the time. And then what we did last winter is we actually partnered with a hash house out of Washington. We licensed them into California. And we also started making hash infused rosettes for ourselves. That so, sounds delicious. Yeah, and so our products are divided into three categories. Blissful Rest, which are all the indica-leaning strains. Brighter Day, which are more sativa-leaning and calm and focus, which are the CBD-rich strains. So we still have that sort of entree product mm-hmm. in the CBD line, but then you can really you know, expand up and, and go from there. I appreciated the highlight of, obviously, the power of influence, and I think it's something that I really try to resonate and emphasize through the podcast and obviously through my guest stories and testimonials of just, it's amazing, obviously, when you can impact a billion people, a thousand people, a hundred people, but when you are trying to truly make an impact, I do believe it has to be distilled down into a one-to-one conversation, and so... I'm curious kind of what the transition was. You mentioned you started doing these. What what, what did you call them before? Because now you call them garden parties, don't you? We've always called them garden parties. parties. Um, And we had, we called the, we had a couple women who did these outside of Aaron and I. Mm -hmm. And we called them our gardeners. (laughs) I love that. So right before the pandemic, we did this whole panel of tests around this garden party program figuring out like how do we scale this out we had started doing some in San Francisco some in the South Bay so from Sonoma County that's like up to three hours away and you know we have luckily so we got a type s license so we have a micro biz so we're able to do manufacturing delivery and distribution Mm. and that's allowed us to be very nimble and flexible throughout the last few years but also that allows it allowed us to service these garden parties even want you know even past legalization of adult use right so we looked at all of that and then and then we were you know talking to different partners to scale this across the state and the pandemic hit and we thought about taking them to zoom but it just it felt like a distraction at the time we really we were looking at closing a round of funding that fell through our the investors got COVID. it was just a disaster i mean march 2020 I'll just say that. It's not good. But we quickly said, okay, what do we do to like shrink down our spend? I'm it we've always been like a really like sustainable company, fiscally responsible. We've had to be to stay, you know, to continue building. Right. And so we really, we decided to basically hone in and really focus on the wholesale channel, build a trade marketing program, support the retailer, bud tender, and then pivot over over to contract manufacturing. So we were making our pre-rolls in-house already, and we started working with other brands to Mm. make their pre-rolls. We make a really good pre-roll. And then earlier this year, uh, 2021, we licensed the Hash House uh, Sitka out of Washington into California. And so just looking at different ways Mm -hmm. to build revenue in a more creative way without taking away from building Garden Society, the brand, because that's really the baby and not the forefront.
Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick-and-mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products. We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code TOBEBLUNT for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks, and let's go back to the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. really just truly so impressed and inspired by what you're sharing and obviously going through it and it's not always rainbows and, <laughs> you know, butterflies. But I think the output of when something negative or challenging kind of hits your way, not getting discouraged from it, but kind of using it as fuel to kind of overcome it and pivot and just learn from it ultimately. And so it's just interesting, even on the idea of just, you know, a garden party, I kind of want to go back to it a little bit to understand before, because maybe people don't understand this and I understand it a little bit, but always good to just get like a refresher from someone who's like lived through it. But like when it's medical, it sounded like you were able to sell your products at these pop-ups that you Mm -hmm. were doing. When recreation happened, you no longer can sell through that means. Correct. So how did that transition kind of that output for you from medical to recreation where because like when you're talking about these events like I think of you know the Tupperware parties absolutely yep you know the sex parties or the sex toy (laughs) parties where it's like okay girls we're gonna all come we're gonna talk about this thing and you know people can buy on the spot and there's obviously you talk a lot from just our conversation about partnerships, I'm curious if there's any others, whether it's, you know, past or present or future looking, because I do think that's the future of where brands exist, right? No longer are the days of, Hey, I just want to buy some weed. Weed's legal. Where's the transaction happening? It's, I want more from the brand. I want the packaging, the smell, the experience when I interact with them on social media to be then not only stellar, but then the deliverance of when I meet them in person at a pop-up at a collaboration working with another brand out in the industry and so obviously partnerships can be super helpful and beneficial I used to do partnership marketing I know sometimes when all partnerships are always you know aligned (laughs) in the same direction so just curious kind of what y'all's perspective has been on partnerships how that has maybe helped strengthen or maybe given you some pause to rethink certain things kind of moving forward but you know how do y'all view partnerships with the brand so in the past, I mean, I, I think partnerships are integral to building a cannabis brand. And so in the past, I love working with other women's brands and just other cannabis brands in general. Like we've worked with some Sonoma County brands, just any way we can support, you know, our peers and just continue to grow together. Like other cannabis brands yes. in Sonoma. Yes. So um, like we did a recipe collaboration with Stephanie from Mellows, which is an edible. I love those. Yeah, beautiful <laughs> edibles brand in California. We've collaborated with our retail partners to create recipes. And then I, I mentioned Sad Girls Club and looking forward, I really see part like 
so we're doing strategic planning and for next year and I really see collaboration and partnership as the way that we really are going to grow. I was moderating a panel earlier about building a national cannabis brand and everyone aligned that partnerships and collaborations are going to be key. I'm super excited about opportunities to partner outside of cannabis. So I've always had, you know, our brand is very aesthetically, you know, it's a huge part of the brand is the way that it looks. Mm -hmm. And so to possibly partner with like an up and coming artist and have them iterate what brighter day feels like to them or to partner with a fashion house or, you know, things like that. I really, we're just closing our series A funding. And so to have resources and to have the mind space to start thinking about these collaborations and partnerships and where the brand can go. It's so energizing and exciting. I I just keep visualizing this billowing sail that's just got all this wind blowing and to just capture and funnel that into the brand and finding these right partners and collaborators and create, you know, just even more of this lifestyle. I mean, at the end of the day, Garden Society is a wine country lifestyle brand and who doesn't want to live the wine country lifestyle? I mean, it's beautiful, it's delicious, it's fun, it's relaxing, it's a little bit aspirational. And so I think in that way, the thought of bringing Garden Society across the United States and empowering all of these people to choose cannabis as a way that they can build more quality of life or just have more joy or, you know, have more fun on the weekend, whatever it is, help with an ailment. We have so many seniors who use our milk chocolate because they can't sleep. So we get them to sleep and then if they wake up to be in the middle of the night, they can just go back to sleep. (laughs) So to just know that there are all these ways that we can help, you know, change and and highlight ways that people can bring more joy into their life is really exciting. And, And I would love to partner with brands that align to that joy and that authenticity and just wanting to bring more of that to everyone. Yeah, I, I definitely align with brand partnerships. I think it's something that I just like come from partnerships. So it's for me, like the second part of my brain, it's like, oh, collaborate, like let's do something together. But I think you obviously hit the nail on the head in terms of one, addressing and acknowledging at a national kind of cannabis level. The experts, they agree collaborations are the future, but I think it's because people are kind of realizing and it's really interesting being, so this is my first time at MJ Biz, first time at MJ Unpack because it's MJ Unpack's first year you definitely still see like legacy cannabis brands and not legacy in the terms of maybe they've been around since, you know, the black market days, but like they speak to the original cannabis consumer, you know, the male in the mom's basement, Rastafarian colors. And I think that there's definitely that consumer out there in the market. Right. But like now you're seeing that cannabis consumer transcends so many other different industries or genres or intersections. And I think we're just scratching the surface of where this industry is going to be able to play when it comes to collaborations and partnerships. I mean, obviously being able to like do a collab if you're a wine company with a chef is a much easier to be like, yes, we will just donate, you know, 12 cases of wine and we're going to go to this local restaurant and it's going to be super easy. Like from my understanding, you can't just give away product. It has to go through a certain process Mm -hmm. that you understand based on regulations to be able to give that product up for a collaboration or partnership or have to sell some sort of like trade, right? So it's just, I think those complexities, I don't think 
are bad. They just obviously make us have to be a little bit more refined of how we approach it. But ultimately seeing that that consumer is all of us and we're all so different. And so being able to tap into kind of like you were expressing, there are people who want to kind of feel the way that it feels mm-hmm. when you are in wine country. I mean, full disclosure, I've never been to wine country. The closest I've been is like Marin County, which well, is now like... you have to come visit. I know, I have to. I know, especially <laughs> these gardens you're talking about. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, I want to see things like growing up close. I mean, Texas is... We grow things. We have, you know, farm communities, but it's not quite the same abundance as uh, California over there. But I'm curious, you know, expansion-wise, in a true CPG world, your product is distributed nationally, even internationally. Mm -hmm. But we do have regulations, and you mentioned you, I guess, licensed a hash company from Washington to manufacture in California for you, are you licensing your brand out of state yet to distribute into more markets or are you just trying to focus on California? So we definitely have a national expansion plan. It's a little bit different, so we're really focusing on our manufacturing expertise. So we have some things in the works, but they're not like publicizable yet. Fair, I understand. I respect. But it's really driven around our manufacturing expertise. Aaron's a chemical engineer and a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, which is a process engineering certification. And so we have a spectacular facility in Cloverdale, California. It's Lean Six, like all the systems. And that's impressive. So, yeah. So, you know, taking the brand and really being able to scale it across the country, but in a way that we can maintain the quality right. is going to be really integral. And, you know, we'll see, you know, we're, we're testing this and we'll see how it works. And I'm sure there will be a smattering of different, I mean, look at what Nancy Whitman from Wana just built or is building, <laughs> continuing to build. I mean, she is really someone that we have followed and a great leader a great example of you know we fangirl a little bit around nancy but you know they they did you know they did different things and different there's different ways to cut this and Mm -hmm. so it just depends on you know kind of where we go next but it yeah we definitely have national no i think that was a that was a great answer to it because i think that's what i just want to come across for people to understand i think when people assume getting in cannabis it seems really great to go multi-state. Obviously, you know, we want to have as much, I think, it's not a negative thing. As humans, we want as much control as possible. Like, why not have our product, especially when you reduce it down into, as in a CPG world, I don't just sell my products in the Walgreens in Texas. Like, I would hope that my products maybe start in the South, then I can take on another market. And you see this kind of expansion rollout. Why not cannabis? But obviously knowing that we do have a little bit different things that we have to navigate before (laughs) we can open up interstate commerce. And I'm the first person to say I'm not ready for interstate commerce. Yeah. But given the rules that we have to play within, knowing and just hearing your thoughts around the expected quality of the products that you're currently delivering and making sure that when you move into another state, you understand that the products that is being produced in that state will be equally the same quality. And it's kind of a funny topic that I feel like has been swirling around this conference with just the conversations I've been having, but people who kind of, you know, articulate, man, just because X state went legal, the quality of their products are still not good. And so that's something I always reflect on too. When we do look at interstate commerce and federal legalization, I don't know if we're going to want Texas, bud. not that people can't grow great, bud in Texas or there's, you know, indoor growing, but respectively speaking, you know, 
you do look at you know the emerald triangle and that's kind of the pinnacle of what really good grows look like and so understanding just because you can do something or can't do something when things do open up what is that going to look like and where does the quality fall because right now you will have to literally build a whole another manufacturing you're going to have to use flour from that state it's not the great flour grown in sonoma it's mm -hmm. flour from whatever state you're trying to expand and i just don't think people really realize that when they see some of these brands and you brought up Juana they're a great one I've been a big fan of theirs their gummies are like always stocked stashed like whenever I visit Colorado I'm like yes done we're going and now you can find them across the United States even right. they're international I think they just opened yeah. up in, in Canada but they have mastered the quality and the consistency and I think edibles is one thing obviously growing flour is another the extraction process everything so there's a lot of stuff that goes into delivering that final product that you're slapping your beautiful brand that you've built all this equity around and then bringing it into another state. So I was just curious and I think that you took it in a really great direction. Kind of to sum it up a little bit, you know, being here at a conference like this, having the tenure in the industry that you've had, what do you feel is an exciting opportunity for brands? Kind of what has been some of your takeaways from this weed week that we've all been a part of? I mean, how do you take what you've learned this week and like, what are you walking away with really from a brand perspective? I feel like I'm partly still digesting it all, but I've def I mean, this has been one of the most, I'd say beneficial conferences to attend for me, just from the tiny nuggets of information that I've taken away from each conversation. And then just the consistency of certain themes, like partnerships or for example I've talked to several of people about like as you are expanding out of state the importance of like regional PR and making sure that you're integrating into the community and that you have programs that support the community and and that you're hiring the right way within that community so just really having an eye to that from a brand perspective I think it's you know this is the first national conference I this is my also first time to MJ so just seeing all these different brands and from different states and looking at like their product mix or the way that they're marketing their messaging even the words that they're using it's so different state to state so that's been super interesting and also just because we are at this stage where we are starting to expand it's given me a lot of considerations and just things to think about and I think you know it's highly competitive and I also just hope to see you know we've really tried to build we're small but mighty and we've tried to build a very sustainable company from a fiscally fiscal responsibility lens and not over fundraise too fast or not fundraise against an, an unreachable or unattainable valuation that forces us to do things that aren't smart for the brand's longevity and really looking at how do we build a brand that can continue to grow at us in a you know like systematic scaled way that's consistent and so I'm super proud of the fact that Aaron and I have been able to do that thus far and so then just connecting here and, and meeting people who know who Garden Society is from out out in the world has been great doesn't fully answer your question but that's just been sort of like my takeaway experience I was able to get my hands on a couple of the Garden Society products. And from my perspective, I definitely appreciate being able to try as many brands out there. I think cannabis is one of those things that obviously 
very similar to wine. There's so many different varieties. There's different regions. There's a lot of variation when it comes to the end product. And so no doubt that same effect is happening in the cannabis industry. But being able to hear Carly's perspective on how they created Garden Society, what the growth of the brand has been like, as well as all the different touch points that go into creating a brand, a 360 approach, those different experiential aspects, packaging, what the product actually looks like from a shelf perspective, from an e-commerce perspective, then translating that into the actual product itself, the quality, how does it actually make me feel when I'm consuming these products? And so being able to you know, again, have that perspective, have that understanding a little bit of how Carly and her co-founder Aaron have gone into the consideration of building Garden Society as a brand to then see the reflection of that actually in their products was just so fun for me. And so I, I hope that you always, you know, feel inspired by these episodes, but ultimately get to be a little bit more tactile with them. I encourage you to check these brands out. If you're visiting California, They are a California brand currently. If you're in Sonoma, extra especially, hope you get to pick up some Garden Society, but being able to travel and experience cannabis in all these different regions and all these different formulations, the types of products, the consumption methods, all the variability that currently exists in the market is a really fun intersection for me as a brand marketer because that to me is really what's defining the brand. At the end of the day, we're all selling cannabis, but it's how you uplift that product, how you speak to your consumer and how you create that niche. So Garden Society is a 10 out of 10 for me. Super thankful to have Carly on the show. Lots of great lessons learned. So I hope that this episode was equally inspiring for you as it was for me. And of course, we'll be back next week with another brand new episode. Until then, take care and talk to y'all online. Bye-bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi. 